Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us for our Congregation at Prayer today, December 9th, 2020. It's good to see you checking in in the chat there. Grace, Michael, Gloria, Eileen is there, I think. Um, our Congregation at Prayer for today, we take a little bit of a break from our Christmas readings to consider the two readings for this evening's evening prayer service. Um, and what I'd like to do here is the same thing we kind of do on Saturday, which is maybe read a little bit more broadly than the focus will be in the sermon tonight so that, uh, well, you have more context, more ideas. Um, you can see how this maybe those texts can be applied in other ways. And for our day school children who are joining us because they're doing uh, virtual learning or fake learning, as I call it, um, at home, who are watching at home, uh, just uh, we also like to do catechesis on Wednesday on the on the assignment from the catechism that we recite all week. So we'll also consider that today briefly. Let's begin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our memory verse for this week. Say it together. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6, verses 8 and 10. Our psalm for this week is the beginning of Psalm 102, verses 1 through 13. Say it together. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow, I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Recognize it's probably hard to read along. One of the uh, things that I like to teach the children is that you can't recite out loud without listening to those around you who are reciting out loud. <laughs> but I can't hear you, so uh, hopefully I don't read too fast. All right, our gospel text for tonight, uh, we'll repeat this tomorrow, or at least bro more broadly tomorrow, actually, is from Luke chapter 1. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb. All right. So, um, who's the babe that leaped in the womb? Uh, it'd be John the Baptist, right? Um, in utero. So, this is an excellent text, I think, um, to demonstrate uh, at least the Bible's priority for life. I mean, the Ten Commandments are pretty clear, right? Fifth Commandment, you shall not murder. Um, but, of course, the argument is, well, life that is within the womb has a different quality or has a different um, value than that which has exited the birth canal, which is logically very strange. Um, what's the qualitative difference between the life within and the life without? Um, and we've seen, of course, cases now. What was the most recent? It was uh, incredible. I think I think it was a child uh, that was delivered emergency at 20 weeks, maybe? Even maybe less than that, all right? Um, so much younger than John the Baptist here in his mother's womb. So, of course, this is part of our priority as far as life goes. So, you understand why we'll hear that tonight. Also, then, our psalm, and this will be um, the source of our preaching, is Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be a light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I, made, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest places of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they, were, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked in way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And there ends the reading. All right, so it's this center section that no doubt you um, can imagine. We'll deal with our theme this evening of the sanctity of life, right? Beginning in verse 13, really. For you formed my inward parts all the way through um, 
In your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. All right, so the Lord um, both created you and he sustains you and he's preserving you in all things, right? And that, of course, connects with what comes before. Um, but I like to share actually how Luther applies this text in a very different context, all right? And specifically, he's going to be dealing, or in his application of this psalm, I believe with verse, let me check here, yeah, um, the first part of the psalm is what we'd like to look at. So we won't deal with this in the, in the preaching tonight so much, but I'd like to deal with it now. Verses 7 through 10, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there, right? This is what we sometimes call the doctrine of hmm, omnipresence, right? That God is present everywhere and everything. Of course, the key is, where is he present for you for the forgiveness of sins, all right? Just because he's everywhere doesn't mean he's everywhere known to you uh, in forgiveness. For example, is, is he known to you in the, in the ICU when you're struggling with COVID? Um, well, with some disease and COVID has made it worse, which is almost always the case. <clears throat> yes, he's there with you, but do you know him there as a merciful as a forgiving God, only if you have his word revealed to you. All right, so let's look at how Luther uses this. And it's in a work um, called That These Words of Christ, This Is My Body, Still Stand Firm Against the Fanatics. Um, so it's quite long. I'm going to scroll back up to the beginning here so I can give you a little bit of context where it comes from. This was from 1527. Luther had written about the Lord's Supper in 1526 as well. Um, but this is written against the fanatics. These are sometimes called the Swiss theologians. Um, this would be Ulrich Zwingli. Um, also Karlstadt, who had been in Wittenberg, but then went and joined Zwingli. And uh, this treatise uh, is one of, I think, 11 that he wrote <laughs> to Karlstadt. Uh, they denied that Christ uh, was present in anything other than like a spiritual presence. That he wasn't actually present in his body and blood in the sacrament. Right? And so they were called the fanatics, that they were more interested in, in the imaginations of their heart and rather than the word of God. Um, and they really, the source of the quarrel was almost always um, centered around those words, this is my body or this is my blood. Right? And what does is mean? Um, and that's probably enough context. There's much more that could be said. I want some more names, maybe. Ocalimpatius is one of my favorites because it's such a fun one to say. Ocalimpatius. Ulrich Zwingli, we mentioned. Uh, Martin Butcher, Butzer is another one. And of course, I uh, already mentioned Karl Stott. All right, let me scroll back to where we're going to be. I'm just going to read you a few selections of this, but you're going to see how he applies um, the psalm, and especially God's omnipresence, um, to understand, well, how is he present for us in the sacrament? All right. So, page 58. I'm scrolling. <laughs> how am I scrolling? But it's pages. All right. And uh, let's see, where was I going to start? All right, here, we'll start here. However, in order to strengthen our people, I shall go on and show the fanatics reasons and arguments are worthless and shall prove to the point of superfluity, It's a nice word, that it is contrary neither to scriptures nor the articles of faith for Christ's body to be at the same time in heaven and in the supper. Let's say that again. It's not contrary. It's contrary neither to Scripture nor to the articles of our faith, 
for Christ's body to be at the same time in heaven and in the supper. I shall do this even though I do not owe it to the fanatics. Rather, they are under obligation to prove that it is contrary to Scripture, and they cannot do it, as we have said. If I have proved this, however, then the words, quote, this is my body, should be allowed to stand and remain just as they read. That I should show visibly with eyes and finger that Christ's body is at the same time in heaven at the table, as the fanatics ask of us, of course I cannot do. He who is unwilling to believe the words of God need not demand anything further from me. So I do, I do enough if I prove that it is not contrary to God's word, but consistent with scripture. In the first place, we take up the article that Christ sits at the right hand of God, which the fanatics maintain makes it impossible for Christ's body also to be in the supper. Maybe you've heard this. Now, if we ask how they interpret God's right hand where Christ sits, I suppose they will dream up for us as one does for the children, an imaginary heaven in which a golden throne stands and Christ sits beside the father in a cowl and golden crown, the way the artists paint it. For if, I, if they did not have such childless or childish fleshy ideas of the right hand of God, they surely would not allow the idea of Christ's bodily presence in the supper to vex them or so, or so, or cat vex them so, excuse me, or castigate themselves so with the saying of Augustine, whom in other respects they do not believe at all, nor anyone else. Quote, Christ must be bodily in one place, but his truth is everywhere. From these childish ideas, it must follow further that they also bind God himself to one place in heaven, on the same golden throne, since apart from Christ there is no God, and where Christ is, there is the Godhead in all its fullness, as St. Paul says. In him the whole Godhead dwells bodily. And John 6, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that the Father is in me and I am in the Father? From this it follows still further that we and all creatures also sit on the same throne as God, perhaps as the lice and fleas in his cowl, as St. Paul says in Acts 17. We are his offspring and in him we live and move and have our being. All right. So you can get kind of the tone. Luther is, uh, doesn't have a lot of patience for people who just flat out deny the scripture by putting reason over scripture. All right, so Psalm 139. Um, Therefore, skipping ahead a little bit, he himself must be present in every single creature in its innermost and uttermost being, outermost being, on all sides, through and through, below, above, before and behind, so that nothing can be more truly present and within all creatures than God himself with his power. For it is he who makes the skin, and it is he who makes the bones. It is he who makes the hair on the skin, and it is he who makes the marrow in the bones. It is he who makes every bit of the hair, and it is he who makes every bit of the marrow. Indeed, he must make everything, both the parts and the whole. Surely then, his hand, which makes all uh, makes all this, must be present, that cannot be lacking. At this point, the passage of Isaiah 66, derived from Genesis 1, undeniably applies, quote, has not my hand made all these things? End quote. Psalm 139, quote, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning dawn, and these are certainly great wings, as great as half the world, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall hold me. End quote. Why should I say a great deal? The scriptures ascribed all miracles and works of God to his right hand, as in Acts 4, actually Acts 5, Christ is exalted by the right hand of God, and Psalm 118, the right hand of God does wonders, the right hand of the Lord exalts me, and Acts 17, God is not far from each one of us, 
For in him we live and move and have our being. In Romans 11, from him and through him and to him are all things. And Jeremiah 23, am I not a God at hand and not a God far off? Do I not fill heaven and earth? Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Right, so he's just like, uh, he's like rapid fire scriptures at, at Zwingli. He does not say a part of heaven is my throne, a part of a spot of the earth is my footstool, but whatever and wherever heaven is, there is my throne and wherever heaven is beneath, above and beside the earth, or whether heaven is beneath, above or beside the earth and whatever and wherever earth is, whether at the bottom of the sea, in the grave of the dead or in the middle of the earth, there is my footstool. Come and tell me now, where are his head, arm, breast, body, if with his feet he fills the earth and with his legs he fills heaven. He reaches out ever so far and beyond the world and above heaven and earth. All right, so he's using the psalm, Psalm 139, um, to show that God is present in all. But notice, he's present in all of creating creation, in creating it and sustaining it. Right? Well, more on that in a minute. He uses this uh, scripture again in a, uh, a couple more pages. Um, referring to God's power, right? So we've talked about his physical presence, now with his power, right? And this all applies, of course, to the sacrament. How can Jesus be present in his body and blood in the sacrament? All right, yes, they say, of course, we believe that God's power is everywhere, but it is not necessary on that account for his divine nature or his right hand to be everywhere. Answer, I believe also, of course, that at the bottom of your hearts, you believe nothing either about God or about God's power. I am certain, moreover, that you will, of course, leap over all the irrefutable scripture passages which I am adducing and expounding here, and that you will you will curl your lips and say, Humph, he speaks of kernels and tree leaves, but he produces no scripture. For this is what you are accustomed to do. And then you jabber something about your forbearance or babble about irrelevant matters, and that must serve as scripture. We know, however, that God's power, arm, hand, nature, face, spirit, wisdom, etc. are all one thing. For apart from the creation, there is nothing but the one simple deity himself. And thus, if before the creation of the universe, there doubtless existed the power and hand of God, God's nature itself, then it did not become something else after the creation of the universe. Indeed, he makes and does nothing except through his word. I'll say that again. Indeed, he makes and does nothing except through his word. Genesis 1, John 1. That is, his power. And his power is not an axe, hatchet, saw, or file with which he works, but is himself. Then if his power and spirit were present everywhere and in all things, to the innermost and outermost degree, through and through, as it must be if he is to make and preserve all things everywhere, then his divine right hand, excuse me, divine right hand, Nature and majesty must also be everywhere. He must surely be present if he makes and preserves them. All right, one more paragraph. For good measure, I shall also prove this with the example and story from Scripture. <laughs> it is our belief, of course, as the Scriptures teach us, that our Lord Jesus Christ is in essence and by nature true God. And, quote, in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, as St. Paul says in Colossians 2. Thus, apart from Christ, there is simply no God or Godhead at all. As he himself also says in John 16, quote, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that the Father is in me and I am in him? All right, so you see how he repeats his quotations frequently. Just to hammer the point home. All right, Christ walks on earth and the entire Godhead is in him, in person and in the presence of the earth. Now tell me, how can it be true at one and the same time that God is entirely present, 
personally and essentially in Christ on earth, in his mother's womb, yes, in the crib, in the temple, in the wilderness, in cities and houses, in the garden, in the field, on the cross, in the grave, etc., yet nonetheless also in heaven, in his Father's bosom. If this is true and undeniably consistent with the faith that the Godhead itself is essentially and personally present in Christ on earth in so many places, and yet at the same time in heaven with the Father, it follows that he is everywhere at the same time and essentially and personally fills heaven and earth and everything with his own nature and majesty in accordance with the scriptures. Jeremiah 22, I fill heaven and earth and am am a God near at hand. And Psalm 139, whither shall I flee from thy presence? All right. So this idea of personally essentially present um, is referring to the Augsburg Confession. Well, it will be referred to in the Augsburg Confession later. This is um, these are words that are used in uh, Christological controversies. And, uh, and just a little bit more here that connects to our reading for or our meditation for tonight. Moreover, when Christ the Son of God was to be conceived in his mother's womb and become incarnate, he certainly had to be present, already present in essence and in person in the virgin's womb, and had to assume humanity there. For the Godhead is immutable in itself and cannot pass from one place to another as creatures do. Therefore, he did not climb down from heaven as on a ladder or descend as by a rope, but was already in the virgin's womb in essence and in person, as he was also in all other places, everywhere, according to the nature and character and power of the divinity. If he is in a certain place, then at such as the virgin's womb, in his essence and in his own person, and at the same time present with, the fa- with his father, As our creed requires, he is certainly also present everywhere in this way. For there can be no reason why he should be able to be in the virgin's womb and not also present everywhere in the same way. So you see how he uses the virgin birth as a proof um, of God's presence everywhere. Of course, is it his merciful presence? Well, he gets to that later. All right. So a little bit of a long reading there, but you get an idea of how Luther uses um, the text you see on the screen there, verses 7 um, through 10. All right, but we'll focus this evening on verses 13 through 16. All right. Now, our catechism this week is the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Let's talk about it. Uh, first, confess it. Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What is meant by daily bread? Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. All right, so you see um, in the fourth petition, um, the connection actually to what uh, what we were just reading from Luther. And that um, it's not enough for us to say that God uh, made us, although that uh, is an essential confession, but that he sustains us. He still takes care of us. Think of the first uh, article of the Apostles' Creed, right? Gives me everything I need for my body and life and still takes care of them. All right. But here in the fourth petition um, is where we ask for the things that we already know God will provide for us, right? But we name them. um, And in that way, we recognize we recognize him as the giver of all good things. All right, so that um, 
there's this potentiality that Luther was talking about that actually um, our names, as the psalmist says, are already written in God's book of life. And so we're already present actually in, I guess, in the DNA of those who come before us and all those who will come after us are already present now. Um, the same matter is present that, of course, they'll be made of by God. Uh, but here in the fourth petition, he's talking about realizing that God gives everything that is needed for our body and life. So as he creates and sustains us personally, he creates and sustains all, the, all those and all that which is around us for our benefit as well. So that includes everything you see there, food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, etc. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you generously give daily bread to us and even to all evil people without our prayers. You richly and daily provide us with everything we need to support us in our body and life. Lead us to realize this, that we might receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On this Wednesday, we pray for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the word of God, for parents who must rear their children alone, for our communities and neighborhoods. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray that the Lord give to all peoples concord and peace, that he preserve our land from discord and strife, that he give to our country his protection in every time of need, that he direct and defend our president and all in authority, that he bless and protect our magistrates and all our people. On this December 9th, we pray in Thanksgiving with Carol, who celebrates her birthday, and with Sarah, who celebrates her baptism. We also pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Jan, Kelsey, Ron, Reverend Herzog, Brad, Janet, and Timothy, Susan and Ken, Pastor Lindau, Sandy, Linda, Joan, Ken, and Penny, and Roman. Pray for those who are homebound, Bev, David, Willis and Janice, and Mickey. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially a place of refuge in Sheboygan, or excuse me, Milwaukee, as well as Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray the collect for this week. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, and come, or excuse me, stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn, uh, first two stanzas of Comfort, Comfort Ye My People.
Comfort, comfort ye my people, speak ye peace, thus saith our God. Comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning neath their sorrows, Lord. Speak ye to Jerusalem, of the peace that waits for them. Tell her that her sins I cover, and her warfare now is over. Yea, her sins our God will pardon, blotting out each dark misdeed. All that well deserved his anger, he no more will see or heed. She hath suffered many a day, now her griefs have passed away. God will change her pining sadness into ever-springing gladness. All right, that concludes our Congregation of Prayer for today, December 9th, 2020. So good to have you with us all today. Uh, join us again this evening, 7 p.m., for our service of evening prayer for Advent. And again, we'll consider uh, specifically those verses in 139 about being fearfully and wonderfully made. As this Advent tide on our midweek services, we consider the sanctity of life. All right, so join us again tonight uh, in person if you're able, otherwise uh, streaming. And um, one other thing, uh, we will be streaming our catechesis for the New Testament, which is for our youth. I'm going to need to stream it because I need to also be able to share it with those children who I won't be able to meet with me in person in school. So um, they'll either come to the class this evening or um, watch it online. So uh, that will be streaming too as well. So you can, of course, jump in on that if you want. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you this, this evening at 7 p.m. Lord be with you all, and have a blessed day.